loving like Jesus. The theme is together. And as we think about being together and all the things that could possibly draw us apart, we want to go back and see what it is that actually unifies us together. But to give you a foundation, the, the real challenge through this book we are discovering is that we want to discover unity, but not by yourself. We want to discover unity together, and that's our challenge. As we think through that, we discover that really our ultimate goal and what brings us together is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, and because of the good news of Jesus Christ's death and burial and resurrection, we can come together, even though we have a diverse background, and none of you have exactly the same stories. And what brings us together is the gospel of Jesus Christ. What we discover in this book of Galatians, this was written to a real church in modern-day Turkey called Galatia. And in there, there was several churches that had been started by a man named Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter of Galatians. And he wrote this later on, after spending time in this this region and receiving some persecution, people had come to know Christ as a Savior, a new church had been planted and growing and developing, and then along comes some other people that are teaching. And they're teaching not just to follow Jesus and Jesus alone, like we sang about this morning in Christ alone. They were saying, wonderful, you're following Jesus Christ, but you also have to take the law of Israel and the Old Testament law and add that to your life as well. And the Apostle Paul discovered what was taking place and wrote them a a very strong letter. And over the first four chapters, he's laying out a foundation of Don't do this. This is going to cause division. And what took place was you had the people who followed Jesus and the law, and it became a burden upon them. And as they looked at the other people who were following Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, they were looking at these people going, we are far more spiritual than just you. And as a result of that, that was causing division. In, in their church, and it was causing the gospel to not go out the way it was supposed to go out. And it's really hard to sit next to someone and talk about the love of Jesus and the love of God when you're thinking, oh, I really can't stand that person. So the Paul wrote this letter to say, those things are not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to follow Jesus Christ and Him alone. My wife and I, we don't argue. We just have discussions. And sometimes they are somewhat heated discussions. And maybe you've experienced some of those heated discussions in your family. And if something like me, I'm discovering, and I say discovering because I'm a slow learner, that over time, you're halfway through one of these heated discussions, and I'm passionately and eloquently laying out my case and discover about halfway through, uh uh-oh, I'm wrong. What do you do when you're in the middle of a heated discussion and you are eloquently, and I think I can win this one, even though I know I'm still wrong? Do you press forward and keep fighting and dig down deeper in your, as we're going on this side, the Jesus and the law of God, or do you follow Jesus Christ and Him alone? And they had said some things to each other that they probably shouldn't have said to one another. And there's been the division and divide within the church between the haves and the have-nots. And now they find out through this book of the Bible 
that they actually were not correct and this side was the right ones. Does this mean that the ones that follow Jesus Christ and Him alone become prideful? Or does this mean that this one's, they're just a bunch of losers and they were wrong? Because no one likes to be the one that's wrong. What do we do when we discover that we have been going down a wrong path? Or what is it when we discover someone else has been going down a wrong path and now they want to go down the right path? Our principle for today is this. A gospel-focused church will love like Jesus. If you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to follow along with me because I want you to see this for yourself. If you don't have a Bible, it will be on the screens for you to follow. Also, inside of your bulletin, I have the main passage printed out there because I want you to see this for yourself. It says this in Galatians chapter number 6, verses 1 and 2. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. This morning, we're going to look through three different A words to love like Jesus. The love like Jesus, first of all, the, the aim, the attitude, and the application. And I use alliteration and, and words like that so it helps you remember them. So when you're sitting at home today and you're sitting around lunch, I challenge my family all the time. That's so why I'm giving you a hint, kids, in my family, that I'm going to ask you what the points were today. So make sure you remember, Caden, okay? And what are the points? Because it helps us remember. And the goal is to not just come to church and sit and, and stand for a little while, listen to a message, and shake a couple of hands and leave the same people we arrived at. We want to leave as different people. We want to learn how to love like Jesus. So this morning, we're going to look at the aim, the attitude, and the application of loving like Jesus. And as we do that, we're going to look at this passage in Galatians chapter number 6, and we're going to go backward. We're going to look at from verse number 2 back down to the beginning of verse number 1. Let's look at the first one, the aim. Ultimately, the aim of all of our lives is to glorify God. That's the focus of all of our lives. If you want a filter to filter through everything that you do, everything that you're supposed to say, everything you're supposed to think and see with our eyes and the way we interact with one another, imagine how many arguments would be stopped if we stopped and paused and thought, does this glorify God before you say what you're going to say? Before you go where you're going to go, before you go to that, that website or that TV station, before you have that heated discussion, does this glorify God? Now, I say that because that's personally very convicting. Look at verse number two. It says in Galatians 6, 2, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. As I studied this passage out this week, these simple two verses had incredible applications. And we're just going to scratch the surface today and make a few applications in our lives today. But we see the aim. And it says there, fulfill the law of Christ. The entire theme of the book of Galatians is that we're not supposed to follow the law. We're supposed to follow Christ alone. And then Paul says, and now we're to fulfill the law of Christ. And it doesn't quite make sense. 
We were told, don't follow the law, follow Jesus. And now we see a law of Christ. So we have to go back to the workings and the teachings of Jesus to find out what is this law of Christ. John chapter number 13. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip over to John 13. Let me give you a little bit of background here and set the foundation for this law of Christ. Jesus is nearing the end of his time here on earth. It's the last week of his life before he goes to the cross. He's gathered around his disciples and they've gone into the upper room and had the last supper, the Passover meal together. And Jesus is teaching them and talking to them. He tells them that one of them, Judas, is going to betray him. And then Judas gets up and leaves the room. And then immediately following that, we have John chapter 13, verse 31. When he had gone out, that is Judas. So Judas had just gone out and left the room. That was a really awkward conversation because the disciples had just got together going, am I going to deny? I'm not going to deny. You're going to deny? And then all of a sudden Judas gets up and leaves and they're like, what just happened here? And Jesus turns this around and he says in verse 31, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified. And God is glorified in him. Here's the purpose. Ultimately, glorify God. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself. It's a bit of a weird tongue twister, isn't it? And the glory him at once. Verse 33. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me just as I said to the Jews. So now... I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. At this, this time, the disciples didn't fully understand what Jesus was saying. But Jesus was saying here, I'm going to glorify God by going somewhere and you can't come with me. I'm going to go and do something that you cannot do by yourself. You're not going to be good enough. You're going to be strong enough. You're not God, but I am and I can do this for you. Now, the disciples at this time were a bunch of men standing around and typical men. They were thinking to themselves, well, I can, if you can do it, I can do it. And if I can take care of this. And Jesus was saying, no, you can't do this. They had no idea what was going to take place just later on that night when Jesus was going to be arrested. When Jesus was going to be dragged before the Sanhedrin and beaten. He was going to be dragged and beaten and placed on a cruel cross, dying for the sins of the world. And then the low times of Jesus being in the grave and the triumphant celebration on the Sunday when Jesus rose from the dead. The disciples at this time had no idea. And Jesus said to them, where I am going, you cannot come. And instantly they're thinking to themselves, you said I can't do it. Why can't I do it? And it says in verse number 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Jesus is telling them, I'm going to go somewhere and you can't go. I'm going to go do something. I'm going to go die on the cross for the sins of the world. And you cannot do that on your own. 
You, can't, you need Jesus Christ to do that. You and I, we cannot die for our own sins. We cannot be good enough. We cannot work our way to our salvation. It is only through Jesus Christ and Him alone. And Jesus says, the way that you're going to help people know, as it says in verse 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So back in that Galatians passage when He says, to fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is that we are to love one another just as Jesus says, I have loved you. Jesus has done something that none of us could do on our own. He's loved us so much that he died on the cross for our sins. He's given us life, not just for now, but for all eternity in heaven. We have a wonderful gift of having our sins forgiven. We have hope, not just for now, but for eternity with Jesus Christ in heaven. We have all these wonderful gifts. And the way Jesus says here is to love one another. If we've been given such an incredible, wonderful gift of our salvation, the forgiveness from God for all of our sins, the hope and the life and the peace that we enjoy, and Jesus turns it around and says, because you have that from me, you can now love other people the way that they are to be loved. I want you to think about that just for a moment. What difference will that make in your life if you were to see people and to respond in a way that you loved one another what difference would that make in your relationships what difference would that make when you have a disagreement and we all have disagreements what difference would that make at work or at school what difference would that make when you say i love one another in regards to your finances in regards to your time what difference will that make we naturally look at things and go do you know what let me handle things on my own. And when I have trouble, then I'll go to you, Jesus. The difference it will make, Jesus begins teaching in chapter number 13. Then we go to 14. Then chapter number 15, Jesus is still teaching his disciples. And he reiterates this fact again in verses 11 and 12, where he says, These things have I spoken to you, that my joy may be in you. So the result is joy. That difference it will make will result in joy in your life. And your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus' focus was ultimately to glorify God. His focus was to take it off of himself and put it upon God. And what we find is Peter does exactly what we naturally do. In verse number 36 of John 13, Peter says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Now I can imagine... I'm not trying to make fun of Peter because I think Peter talks for all of us. Here we have Jesus giving an impassionate plea to love one another. I can see the emotion coming out in Jesus. I don't think Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you, that your joy may be full. I don't see that in Jesus at all. I see a great deal of passion here. I see, I can imagine the love in his eyes and in the voice and the care of his voice as he commands them to love one another. And Peter goes, where are you going? And, and then Jesus, that's the passage where Jesus actually talks about Peter denying him three times is in this passage right here. Our focus needs to be like Jesus' focus to ultimately glorify God. To go back to what we talked about last week, 
We can't do that by ourselves. That's why we have Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, where it gives us the key. It says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. We don't have to do this by ourselves. We don't have to do this in our own strength. Because you may be thinking to yourself, I can't glorify God, and some people are really hard to love. And I agree. But we're not called to do this by ourselves. We're called to do this in the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit. This takes away all of our really good excuses and just turns it back and says, follow God. So the aim is to glorify God. To love like Jesus, glorify God. The next thing is to love like Jesus, we have the attitude. What is the correct attitude to love like Jesus? You ever heard the term, and I know you have, talk is cheap. You want someone who shows you love in a very kind and gentle way. You imagine these people in this area of Galatia, these churches. There have been divisions in these churches, and I have no doubt they had some impassioned arguments with one another whether or not following the law was correct or just following Jesus Christ and Him alone were correct. I'm sure that they had said things and thought things about how these other people were not spiritual and how these other people were just laying on burdens and they laid things back and forth. And now Paul turns it around and says, now you're going to actually address these people with some kindness and gentleness. You've tried it yourself in fighting the battle in your own strength. Now he says there, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Then he gives a little caveat at the end. He says, keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. And if you're a parent here today, you have experienced this. You're tired. The kids are noisy. It's okay, the first week of the school holidays are over. The next week of the school holidays are starting. That's when the kids start fighting. And as they start loving each other in a very aggressive way, and as they start arguing, sometimes you get your children together. Now, this is, of course, hypothetical, of course. And you grab your children, you put them next to each other, and you say, apologize to your sister, or apologize to your brother. And they go, I'm sorry. And you know it's not heartfelt. And you know it's not with a spirit of gentleness. But you compromise and say, fine, you said the words, that's fine. And Paul here is going beyond just, just restore someone. Okay, you're restored. He wants to go beyond that and say, actually, we want this to be something genuine in your heart. So it comes from a spirit of gentleness. And I believe that spirit of gentleness connects back to our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And now we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And we cannot have the spirit of gentleness in ourselves. It's actually a spiritual Holy Spirit working in our life. When we are being addressed by someone, we want other people to be gentle to us. And we find in the Bible where it says, treat others the way that you want to be treated. Do unto others the way that you want to be done to you. Jesus used an illustration of eye surgery. Now, I know I appear incredibly masculine and manly, but there's certain things that terrify me. And one of the things that terrifies me is the thought of being held down and my eyeball being opened up and a needle coming into my eye. Like things that keep me up at night. 
Some of you have had eye surgery where you have to be awake and you've seen the little laser, the little thing goes, like that just, that's like my worst nightmare. Like, like just knock me out and then do my eyes. Jesus teaches about eye surgery in Matthew chapter number seven. And you are probably familiar with this concept. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye and do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? Jesus uses some strong words. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you'll be able to see clearly to take out the speck out of your brother's eye. And that is an incredibly practical illustration given to us by Jesus. When we fail to use a spirit of gentleness, we fail to look at ourselves first. We fail to keep watch on yourself, lest you too to be tempted, as it says there in verse number one. Because we can naturally have the wrong attitude. When Jesus was teaching, he often talked to and referred to the Pharisees. And as we go through the scriptures, we don't find Jesus talking very kindly to the Pharisees. Although the Pharisees were the religious people. They were the most spiritually looking people in the entire community. And then Jesus tells a story about a particular Pharisee that went to the temple to pray. And as he prayed eloquently and loudly, we see it contrasted with a man who is fearful, who is overwhelmed by his sin and his own depravity. And we find in Luke chapter number 18, verses 9 through 14. Let me just read what, what Jesus says. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves. Hear that? He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, to some very spiritually looking people, that they, too, that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Here's the story that Jesus told. Two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now in Jewish society at this time, forgive me if you worked for the ATO, but in the, eight, in the first century, the people that worked as tax collectors were seen as the lowest of the low. They were the worst people of society. So we have a Pharisee who thinks they're the best, and then we have a tax collector who is seen as the worst. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And you can imagine him praying loudly and looking down and just saying, this guy right here, thank you, God, for not making me like him. I, and this is, he's giving God his resume to impress God. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, when we come to others in our relationships, 
when we come to others that we've seen have been that done wrong and we've recognized that they are, are wrong. They've maybe committed a sin and they are now they've discovered they're committing a sin and how are we to receive them back and restore them. The Bible says with gentleness, an attitude of gentleness, because we can come and on the outside look very spiritual and still look at someone with the wrong attitude. And ultimately we have empty works. This man who was the Pharisee had some empty works. He said he tithed and he fasted more than he was supposed to. He tithed on things that he wasn't necessarily required to tithe on. He would fast. And the Bible gives us instruction about fasting. And fasting is a good thing to do. But they would fast and they would fast so everyone knew that they were fasting. And they would look at the person going, oh, aren't they super spiritual? They're fasting. They must be extra godly as opposed to when the Bible teaches us to fast, we're to wash our face and look really happy and good because we're not to fast to impress other people between us and God. We have empty gifts. We give to God where it's really to impress other people as opposed to between us and God. God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to serve? We end up with an empty life lost in our sins because we're trying to do things in our own strength, in our own ability, as opposed to ultimately glorifying God. We're trying to glorify ourselves. When the followers of the law saw other people doing wrong, it actually, in a positive way, made them excited because imagine how much different and more spiritual I am compared to these people over here that do wrong. And sometimes you may see other people doing wrong and thinking to yourself, boy, I'm glad I'm not like them. Thank you, God, for not making me like that person. And that's exactly the prayer we find here. Our attitude when we come to love like Jesus is the attitude of gentleness, the spirit of gentleness. In the book of Ephesians, chapter number four, the first three verses says this, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Here we have a wonderful order of operation. If we look at those points, we see love like Jesus. The aim is to glorify God. The second is our, the attitude is gentleness. The application is restoration. Oftentimes we look at this the other way around. We just want to receive restoration. We want everything to just be okay. Just forgive me. Let's just get along. Let's just. But if we fail to skip points one and point two, we're just faking point number three. And that's where Paul lays this out. Now, he understands what was taking place in this community, in this real church. But this application can be applied to all areas of our life. This week, you will probably have the opportunity to live this out. You'll have the opportunity to restore someone. But rather than just being the person that begrudgingly, like the child who says, I'm sorry, fine, we're good, shake hands. And you go back to being exactly the way you were the next day. If we follow the correct, in a positive way, the order of operation, if we're, our aim is to glorify God and through that we love like Jesus because we're glorifying God and we filter the way that we talk, then filter the way we act as loving by God, imagine the difference it will make. 
And if we come with the spirit of gentleness and the attitude of gentleness, so my goal is to glorify God and my attitude is that of gentleness as opposed to that of pride-filled, just looking good on the outside. The natural reaction, natural response, our application will be restoration. We go back to verse number one where it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. There was a great opposition. There was a great opportunity for this church to be split. There was a tremendous potential for this church to no longer serve its community to become so inwardly focused upon the division that they were fighting against, and they were fighting at something that was actually incredibly foundational. It could have totally destroyed. Two opposing views cannot be equally correct. And as I was thinking through that this week, I came with this epiphany. I'm sure I'm not the first person to come up with this. Two opposing views cannot be equally correct. And here's the part that I came up with. But that doesn't necessarily mean that either one of them are correct. You ever thought that both people who are arguing can both equally be wrong and you're both wrong? And you're both arguing a point and you're both coming to the wrong conclusion? Here we find the application is the restoration. That word restore literally means to put back in place. To put something back in place, to make it new again. You ever had a broken bone? And I've never broken a bone, not yet. Some of my children have, and I remember my son breaking his arm, and he fell off his bicycle, and we took him to the hospital. I think he was in year year two, I believe. And we took him to the hospital, and he stayed overnight, and they had to take his arm and put him to sleep and take his arm and straighten it out and set the bone and put it in a cast. Now, if you think about it, putting it, And straightening the bone was painful, and it hurt. That's why they put him to sleep. And if you've ever had something like a a joint that was out of place, and a dislocated finger, and someone's had to put it back into place, it's very painful, but ultimately for your benefit. This restoration process doesn't have. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's all going to be smooth and without pain. It's going to hurt, but it's going to hurt for our benefit. It's going to be uncomfortable. Having to accept and to give apologies is not easy. Having to admit I was wrong is not fun. I don't wake up in the morning going, boy, today I hope I'm wrong a lot so I can apologize. That's the opposite of what we want to do. But what we find here is it's ultimately for our good. So what does this restoration look like in our lives? What does this look like in our daily life? And this is where we can broaden the scope of our application here from just when it's division to actually seeing people the way that God sees them. If we're called to love one another, it's not just when we're in conflict. We're called to love one another in every opportunity. We can restore someone when we think that they're just different than us. We can restore someone when they just don't understand what we, we know. They don't know what we know. We can find restoration in caring and loving people that are hard to love. That's why with this order of operation, when it's ultimately to glorify God, this filters through every aspect of our lives. 
when Jesus reiterates it and he says, this is my commandment that you love one another. We're going to make this practical. We're going to read the book of Romans chapter number 12. I'm going to read a number of verses through this passage in verses 9 through 21. We've called in the beginning to walk in the Spirit. Our aim is to glorify God. And maybe God has brought us something to your, to your mind as we've been talking about conflict. I've been talking about loving other people. And you're thinking, well, I will happily love other people except for that person. Or maybe God's brought that particular person to your heart and your life and your mind at this particular moment. I've been absolutely amazed how God is active and working in our life. How He brings people to my mind at seemingly odd hours and odd times times thinking, God, why am I thinking about this person? It's opportunity to glorify God and to love others in a spirit of gentleness, seeking to restore them. Maybe there's something practical we can do to restore them, to bring them in in a practical or a financial way. Maybe they need a meal. Maybe they need practical help. Maybe they just need a kind word or a phone call. And I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm going to put a little thought in your mind here is to use a tool that probably all of you have in your pocket or in your, your handbags if you're a lady, you have a mobile phone. The mobile phone is a wonderful tool that can be used for evil, but also for good. Let me challenge you this week. A challenge of when God brings someone to your mind, don't waste that opportunity to give glory to God, but to send them a text message. And you don't have to send them a long text message. I send many of these out a week, like a bunch of these out a week, as God brings you to my mind and other people. I'll say, you know, hello, Frank. I'm just stopping to pray for you right now. Boom, that's it. If I know there's something particular in their life, uh, I may mention it in the text message, but just using that as a quick response. Because something else I've discovered is when I delay, when I put it off till five minutes later, I forget. And if I put it off till tomorrow, it's already gone. So let me read you this passage in, in the book of Romans, chapter number 12. And if you need to pull out your phone and send some text messages, and let's just use this as a time to make this practical. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and to seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
we're going to spend a few moments just reflecting upon your aim to glorify God, our attitude of gentleness, and the application is how can we restore relationships to the glory of God? Let's just spend a few moments in reflection.